Good morning, everyone. Somebody shut that back doors back there. There you go. Dusty's getting it. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, let's turn in Ezra, book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to look at some uh, issues and things concerning rebuilding a broken society. Uh, the book of Ezra is in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look in the last chapter of Ezra, Ezra chapter 10, for a portion of scripture as a context for our message today to rebuild a broken society. The nation of Israel, we have saw since the beginning of the year that we have traveled a journey together as a congregation. We have looked at uh, all the way from Genesis and leading up through the Old Testament and we're studying through the Old Testament and this is our final week. We're at the pivotal moment, the final moment of the Old Testament and we're looking here this week at this last message of all this journey that we have been on thus far. We've talked about uh, Adam and Eve and uh, Enoch and all the different ones and then we go into the Genesis, book of Genesis, it carries us through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons and we know the one son was Joseph. We learned about him going into Egypt and then the other brothers follow and go along and go down. Jacob goes with them and then uh, ends up they become slaves in Egypt God gives them a, a messenger through the prophet Moses, the man Moses, the leader Moses. And Moses goes back to Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh to let his people go. They come across the Red Sea, go up through the wilderness, all through this journey they're traveling. And hearing Moses speak about what God is saying to the children of Israel. Up to this point, they've never had a Bible. They don't have a verse. They don't have anything to go from other than the voice of God. And today in our lives, we're blessed to have this book that we have in our possession today that we can know thus says the word of the Lord. Amen. That we can trust that this is established and the Bible tells us that it will not one dot or tittle will be done away with, but this word is the truth and it's what guides our life. And as Moses led the children of Israel, then the next thing you know, he writes the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. He, he goes through those. And as he uh, spells out the Levitical law for the children of Israel, they find out what they need to do and what they're not supposed to do. And there's laws about what we can do and what we can't do. Look at your say, there's some things you can do. Amen. And there's some things you can't do. Amen. So God breaks it down pretty simple, really, that he allowed them to get to a point of Ten Commandments. And we understand the Ten Commandments today as we see them all over our nation all over our country, hopefully they're in your home, hopefully, most of all, they're in your heart. Amen? That we shouldn't kill, steal, all these different things, covet, we shouldn't have no God before him, that we should honor Father and Mother. All the Ten Commandments we should have placed and grafted on our heart. So as Moses writes these things, the children of Israel, they'll listen for a little while, and then they won't. So they go through this uh, journey of their life of the nation of Israel that they'll go through blessings and cursings because of their uh, disobedience to God's word. And it's the same way in our life. Amen? That if we follow God, listen to God, and do the things God asks us to do, we will be blessed by God. If we're disobedient, walk away, and act like God doesn't matter, then whenever the curse comes upon us, it's our own fault. Look your neighbor said it's your own fault. Amen. You can't blame God. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame the church. You can't blame pastor. You can't blame anybody. You've got to blame yourself. Amen. Your actions has consequences. Don't blame God. A lot of people put it off on the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. He didn't make you do anything. 
Come on, somebody. Amen. The devil didn't make you do anything. He cannot make you do anything. The devil's only ability that he's got over your life is whatever you give him. Amen. Whatever you give him and entrust him to have power over you, then he'll take advantage of that situation. Amen. But I'm going to take back what the enemy stole from us. There's an old song back in the 90s in the church that we're going to take back what the enemy stole from us. How many would like to take back everything the devil has stole from your life? Amen. Even though you gave over to him, even though you gave in to him, and he took advantage of you, God can redeem you. Amen. He can bring back what the enemy has stolen from you. So as the children of Israel go through this journey, it's amazing because we see as Moses leads them out, leads them into the, uh, the promised land, heads that way, they're disobedient to God. And even Moses, the leader, becomes disobedient to God. Sometimes even your leaders are disobedient to God. Amen? Sometimes even pastors, even general superintendents. Even though God calls us doesn't mean we're beyond the point of being able to mess up. Amen? It doesn't matter if you're on a church board. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you're down there teaching the children's church. It doesn't matter if you're helping the youth group. It doesn't matter if you're going on the journey to go to, what is it, to winter camp. I don't go. I'll just tell you right now, I've done enough of that. I don't go anymore. And I'm glad some people. Is it, who's going to Winter Jam with them? Who's going as a, as a chauffeur? Oh, look here. We've got people that are going to go down and chauffeur a bunch of hoodlum teenagers. Let's pray for them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> pray first off for their mind because apparently something's wrong with it. If they're going to know, I'm glad you guys do. I applaud you in doing so. I'm grateful you do. But broken society is led by leaders, so I'm glad that we have student leaders. I'm glad that we have people that lead our young people here at the church. I'm thankful for Dustin Albee and all the leadership they provide and all of you that teach and help volunteer during time to time. And for the Easter eggs, for 15,000 Easter eggs, it's cost somewhere right about $900 to put this on. And it's all because of you guys. It's nothing we can do of ourselves. It's you, through the obedience to Christ, that we do these things. And these Easter eggs will change lives. Amen? Because we can tell a story about the redemption, the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. And what I love about the Easter egg most is its ability because you don't know how many chickens are in an egg. Amen? You take that one little egg, it might burst out one little chicken. There might be one little chick comes out, and then how many eggs is that little chick going to lay? According to the rooster or hen, of course. And how many of those hens lay more eggs? And how many of those chicks come out and we don't understand? It's kind of like the grain of corn, right? We, we don't understand how many uh, stalks are going to be reproduced from that. And it's the same way in Christianity. By one person coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it can redeem a whole generation of mankind. Look at who just passed away just recently, Billy Graham. And it all traces back, and you've probably seen the memes going around about how that there was a shoe salesman that led. He was just a general shoe salesman that was a leader of a, uh, in a in a church. He wasn't a pastor, wasn't anything else special, but he was just a shoe salesman, and he led some guy that come in to get a pair of shoes to Jesus. And down through that genealogy comes the evangelist Billy Graham. And Billy Graham leads millions around the world to Christ. I'm sure that shoe salesman, the day he was witnessing to the guy who was driving on shoes, and putting shoes on his feet, he didn't understand how many millions would come to Jesus because of his action. How important is it to us today? We don't even know. All we know is to follow and obey Christ. Amen? I want to have a special prayer this morning. 
for the firefighters' families. Uh, up in West Virginia yesterday, a fire truck um, crashed and ended up two of the firefighters uh, have deceased. Uh, three others were injured. And I want to pray as a congregation for that for those families. Amen. A tragic loss, and all the all the workers that just sometimes we just take it for granted. The people that are out there, and I've been around some firefighters lately, and it's just awesome. The people that volunteer to take care of us for nothing, Amen. and we need to pray for them. Amen. So won't you just join together, join hands together, then with your neighbor? Bible says, if any two or three agree touching anything. It will be done, and let us pray. Father, we just come to you with heavy hearts this morning, God, for these firefighters up in West Virginia, Lord, for their families. God, we just pray that your comfort of your Holy Spirit would go and be with those families. Lord, that your peace that passes all understanding that's promised in Scripture, Lord, would be a truth in their life. And God, we just pray for all those around us that serve us, God, as a society, God. Lord, this broken society that we're living in, Lord, that we know that some things are messed up in our society right now. And Lord, as we study through your Old Testament and your word, we see that you redeem, that you buy back, that you pay the price, that your redemption is true. God, that you're always with us, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. God, be with these families. Comfort them. Be the place that they run during this season of pain. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Ezra chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. All the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, And thou hast said, so must we do. Let's all say it together. As thou hast said, so must we do. As thou hast said, so must we do. Craig got ahead of the game. He, 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 he's ready to go and get the doing part done. Amen. As thou hast said, so must we do. I am praying today that these words would be engrafted in the heart of every individual in this room. That as we see the trials and the tribulations, the turmoil, the times of conflict, of the times of resolution, the times of redeeming, the times of refreshing through the Old Testament, I pray that they would be symbolic of our life today and we as a congregation, as a church, can see that a broken society can be rebuilt if God gets involved. Amen? That if we allow God's plan for our life and we get involved and say if thou hast said so must we do if we would get involved and be involved as a church as a congregation i believe society will be a better place i believe if churches would go out and serve the community just like we are with these eggs that we don't just hoard them up for ourselves and have our own little churches uh, easter egg hunt but we're doing it for every kid in lewis county i think that's an awesome things it speaks volumes that god wants the church to be involved in society I said, God wants the church to be involved in society. Amen. Amen. 
That there should be a connection. That the church should be at the forefront. Whenever we see widows or orphans or those with or without that has a need, that the church should be there to fill that need. And I pray that God would change our way of thinking that I, uh, I'm glad to give taxes and I'm, I'm proud to pay my taxes and I'm thankful for welfare and I'm thankful for SNAP and I'm thankful for the old days whenever you got the, what was the food, the food called? The... <coughs> Commodities. Oh, wasn't that awesome? The government gave us commodities. Anybody that says they don't like commodity cheese on a on a grilled cheese sandwich, you're lying. Hey man, it's the best commodity. It was the best. Albie loves grilled cheese. She she will go down to the shortstop and she buys her grilled cheese. She loves grilled cheese. Did you ever have a commodity grilled cheese? Probably ain't even old enough for that. Well, it's making me feel old. I'm sorry, youth group. But we build a broken society, and I'm thankful for those programs. Amen? But I really believe if the church was doing everything the church is supposed to do, that there wouldn't be any need in society for welfare from the government. Amen? Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of widows and take care of the orphans and keep oneself unspotted and untainted from the things of the world. That's the best form of religion you can have. If you want to be religious about anything, I, I, I can say that some people are religious about things. You can be religious at what time you get up in the morning. My dad don't need an alarm clock. About 4.30 or 5 o'clock every morning, he wakes up. Every day, without an alarm clock. He don't need a clock. He just gets up. He's religious about what time he gets up. You can be religious about a lot of things. Amen? But pure religion, the Bible says is to take care of widows and orphans and to keep oneself <coughs> unspotted and untainted from the things of the world. And as I say that, I'm saying that to tell us that there is orphans in our midst. Come on, somebody. There is widows in Bethesda's congregation. And I thank God as a church that we can take, even during the, the Valentine's Day thing recently, that the church took up money and we took down and every kid in Bethesda got that little uh, a toy or little uh, whatever it is, a rose, whatever, I don't know. We got them something that ain't very made, so I know. I didn't get one. Ah, poor me, right? But we're rebuilding a broken society. If you don't think an orphan will make a broken society... You're fooling yourself. If you don't think that a widow sitting in her home alone is not broken, you're fooling yourself. I promise you. Pure religion is to take care of those with the least. It's what Jesus told us. He, told, he said in Scripture, He said, the poor you will always have with you. They're always going to be there. There's always somebody in need. Society is always going to have the least among us, the broken among us. And the thing about the church is Jesus set us up as a church whenever we become to become blessed because we start living right and we begin to get the things of God and be blessed by God. What should we do with those blessings? We should bless others. Amen? You are blessed to be a blessing. So we're building a broken society, and what Ezra is talking about here, whenever he went to go back and he had been in exile, he'd been away from the, the, the complete uh, temple, had been disbanded, the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, their whole society, their whole way of life, they loved God, but here they was on a journey because God had them exiled for 70 years. 
Can you imagine Americans being carried off away captive by the uh, whoever, the Chinese, and were taken away into exile 70 years? For 70 full years. And all we can remember about and all we can hear about from our and those in our in our peace, uh, amongst our people, the Americans, even though we're living in China, all we hear about is, man, you don't know how good it used to be in America. We had freedom of speech. It was awesome. We had a freedom to assemble. We could go to a church of our choosing. It didn't matter what church the government picked. We had a right to bear arms. We could go to the gun range and shoot whatever we wanted. We would be telling our generations going on after us during that seven-year exile, we would be telling them about the things we miss about America. Can somebody say amen? amen? Rebuilding a broken society. And as they're away from their homeland, all they've heard about is how good it used to be. Amen. And I've been around church long enough to know this, that if you get around some old-timers, most generally, the old-timers in congregations that I've been a part of, they brag about what God used to do. Amen? Man, I remember when we used to go to church, and the Spirit of God would show up, and the tears would flow, and the altars would be full, and people praying and seeking God. I remember how it used to be. Amen? That's what we talk about is what used to be. But God's not concerned that much about what used to be. He's worried about the current situation of where's your heart with Him right now. Come on, somebody. He's worried, what are you doing right now to a broken society that's in, in your face right now? What are you going to do? The children of Israel never would deal with anything right then, so they ended up in captivity for 70 years. And Ezra's got this lofty position. He knows the people in power. He knows the people in influence. And God speaks to Ezra and says, go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so now we're exiled from America. We're living over in China. We've been there 70 years. And all of a sudden, the thundering voice of God says, Get thee back to Washington, D.C. and build the White House because they tore it down. How much joy would that bring? <coughs> Amen? Amen? How much joy would that bring to the heart of the Americans? That, and now, God only, not only told that to Ezra, he quickened and, and, and made pliable the heart of the king. And the king decreed and said, Okay, Ezra, I'm going to pay your way to get back home. And when you get back home, I own all the land of America now. I'm just going to go ahead and tell everybody over there that's under my power to give you everything you need to build your White House again. Rebuilding a broken society. Wouldn't it be awesome? The... Can you imagine the joy in the hearts of all the Americans that are in exile and have been there for 70 years? This is what Israel was facing. So whenever God says this, his thundering voice appears to Ezra and tells him, I'm going to rebuild what the enemy has stolen from you. <laughs> I'm going to rebuild what the enemy has stolen from you. And what if me as a pastor here today that God sent me to tell you that he is going to rebuild the things that the enemy has stolen from you? What if I'm here today as your pastor to tell you that God is going to redeem what the enemy has taken from your life? That he's going to give you a new hope and a new future and a promise of a better tomorrow is happening in this room today because God said so. As thou hast said, so must we do. What if God is telling us today, rebuild the broken society? Not to be 
Make America great again? You know what that's talking about? How good America used to be. How many would like to see America great again? Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not talking about a political slogan because Ronald Reagan used that too. There's been a lot of people talking about how they want to rebuild and redo. I'm ready for America to be great again. Why? Because I'm, I'm tired of the broken society that I'm living in. <coughs> how many tired of the division? Amen? The separation. I'm ready for this broken society to come back to the heart of God. Because if this Christian nation that we're living in would be redeemed, it'll be bought with the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if more men and women and children and young teenagers, if they would get on fire for God and hear the voice of God, and if they would hear, as thou hast said, so must we do, I'm telling you, the generational change, you won't have to worry about kids walking into school and shooting up each other if they're on fire for God. Amen. Come on, somebody. It's a truth. Because the Bible says it know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because the only reason they go in and kill the other kids is because they're so messed up in their mind that they're broken as a society and they don't know what hope they have. They don't look for a better hope. They don't look for tomorrow. They're worried about right now and all the troubles they're in. A lot of them are perplexed. They're on medicine. They're on all these things. Why? Because society is broken, church. And until the church becomes alive, if the judgment must begin at the house of God, let it begin with me. And as thou hast said, so must we do. What if every individual in this room took that to heart and think, I'm responsible for some of the pain that's been caused. My inaction has caused the actions of the enemy. As I sit back on the back row and think everybody else is going to do a lot, everybody else is going to feel all the eggs, everybody else is going to take stuff to the to the Valentine's Day, everybody else is going to do. What if we all got involved, church, and made a society a better place? Amen. And not everybody has the same calling. I'm not saying everybody has to feel eggs because some people gave money that, that didn't come and feel eggs, and other people come and feel eggs that didn't have money to give. <laughs> It's called teamwork makes the dream work. Amen? Pastor Josh taught me that a long time ago. If we've got teamwork, we can make this dream work because God knows how to use all of us in our giftings to make a beautiful picture. It's about the whole, not the part. And I'm so thankful that Bethesda is a diverse group of people. We're pretty diverse. We got old, we got young, we got some with some money, we got some without any money. I don't know if we got any rich people, got any rich folk around here. <laughs> I don't know if any, if you do, just let me know. I don't know if we got any rich people or not. A neighbor up there, Dad, he'd always say, I don't want to be rich, I just want to be well-to-do. Ernie Gifford up on Brari, he'd always say that. Oh man, Ernie. I don't want to be rich. I just want to be well could do. I don't blame you. That's kind of where I want to be. Amen. That God will take care of my needs. Because he promised he would. He'll supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Amen. We're in pretty good shape in this room. As thou hast said, so must we do. Let's say that again just so it gets stuck in our mind and in our heart. As thou hast said, so must we do. It's not I. It's we. It's not all the voices speaking to us. It's only His. Sometimes our broken society is because we hear too many voices. Amen? 
that we're listening to too many things. If we would get a single source for our information Amen. and how we live and dwell and have our being, I promise you this, our society will be changed. If the church would ever take a hold of this and say, as thou hast said, so must we do. It will change our society. I'm so grateful that we spent a whole, we're in the third month here, but going to be fourth month next, in three full months, we've looked through the whole Old Testament, and sure, we went through 4,000 years in a hurry, but I really believe that God has set us up on this pathway to see a redemptive act next Sunday. I really believe that, that he's shown us that there's mountains and there's valleys, and there's seasons of rain, and there's seasons of drought. He's painted us pictures through his Old Testament for us to see that it could be our schoolmaster to show us that God's redeeming power is still true today. If you would really take that to heart and say, I know somebody who needs to be in church next Sunday. People will go to Easter. I looked up that statistic that said 82% of people will go to church on a Sunday morning if they're asked. You've got a 82% chance of that person you ask it to come. That's pretty good odds. That's 8 out of 10. Amen? It's pretty good. But it says that only 2% of the church actually asks anybody. Even after they hear that, even after you hear that it's 82% likely that you can invite somebody and they'll come, only 2% of the church will actually go home and ask. As thou hast said so must we do. I guarantee you this. If you don't ask them, you're going to buy a thousand. Because they're not coming. Amen? You're going to buy a thousand. How many would like to have played Major League Baseball and had an 862 batting average? Sean knows sports. That'd be the best of the best, wouldn't it? That'd be the all-time record. There's nobody even come close to that. The heroes of baseball is not going to have an 862 batting average. And here God's telling you, or 820, whatever. So here God's telling you you're going to have an 820 batting average. And you're standing there saying, but I don't want to play. Amen. There are only one. It's us as a church. And he's telling us only 2% of the people actually go out and actually play. Or say, that's sad. As thou hast said, so must we do if we want to. That's the words I would like to pencil in right behind that. As thou hast said, God, so must we do if I want to. He might tell us, he might speak to us and say, about that person, we say, I really don't want to, God. I won't do that. I might get embarrassed. What if they tell me no? What if they tell me they're an atheist? What if they tell me they're an agnostic? What if they tell me they don't believe in God? And that's what the enemy plants in our brain, right? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And that's all we hear is what if, what if? Too many voices. Not as thou hast said. A singular voice is God's voice. And I believe he'll tell you who you should invite. As thou hast said, so must we do. 
Some people say it's the thought that counts. Right? How many's ever heard that? It's the thought that counts. Try that on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Try that on an anniversary. Amen. Right, Greg? Try that on anniversary. Forget anniversary. See how that works for you. Just say, well, it's the thought that counts. I thought about it. Don't do that. I promise you, don't do that. So it'd be like if you're playing baseball and you're standing there and you thought, I'm going to hit a home run, but you never done anything about it. You never went out to the bat. You never went out to the mound. And, and you wouldn't even try. I remember this because I was in A-League or whatever it is, like when you're like, I don't know, middle or eight, uh, elementary to middle school, somewhere thereabout. I remember my, my coach was Chuck Bentley and, and, and David Skidmore, and they was my coach, and they, they was trying to get me to play ball. And, you know, I was just a little winkling grunt. You know, didn't have no muscles or anything and still don't other than that one. And uh, so he was trying to get me to play. And I was like, man, I, I want to play. And I love watching other people play. And I love being in the dugout and I'll holler and scream, go, Willie Wells, you can do it, Bob. Come on. Jason Bentley, you're, you're a star. <laughs> Bob Skidmore, I can't believe it. You can, you can third base, you're an ace at that. I would scream and holler and have the biggest time. But I'll never forget this. So Chuck Billy been my coach, Albie, and he stood there and he said, because it was my turn to bat, we was at the end of the game, at the end of the season. He told me, he said, you're going to go bat. And I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. The game's on the line. He said, you're going to take that bat and you're going to go out there and you're going to swing. I didn't want to. But as thou hast said, so must I do. I looked up to him. He was my coach. I knew he loved me. So I took that bat and I went out there and I stood there and that, that opposing team threw the ball and it scared me to death. I was afraid I was going to get hit. I thought they was going to hit me on purpose. I was standing there and I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And he threw that ball, and I swung that bat as hard as I could. And it made a thundering ring. I was like, what just happened? And I hit it so hard in my mind, I thought, and that sound that I'd never heard before. <laughs> I never heard that sound, the sound of success. And man, I hit it, and when I hit it, it was flying over top of the pitcher. It was flying over top of the second baseman. And I forget the boy's name, he's a Kennedy from down Vanceburg. It was like he jumped 75 foot up in the air off the second base, and he caught my ball. <laughs> Probably him. It was awful. But I, for, for the first time in my life, I thought, man, because he made me do it, and because I tried, I hit the ball. That's why I think people like Teddy that goes down and, man, don't ever think you're wasting your time by pouring in them young people, man. I'm telling you, it matters. And it'll rebuild a broken society, I promise you. And if we, as a body of believers, would teach people that they can and it don't matter if he caught that ball. You know why? Because whenever we had our end of the year thing, guess who got the most improved player? 
And guess who still got that trophy in my garage today? You may say everybody getting a trophy is a bad thing. I like, I only like it. Mine says most improved player. I didn't know where to go but up. Amen. Oh, it's awesome. God is so good to us, isn't he? You're playing in a sweet 16 round and you're down with three in the huddle. You think you hit the three-point shot, but you go out there and you don't really do anything about it. Does the score get on the board? Nope. Just happened this week, didn't it? You can think it. It's not the thought that counts. It's the doing that counts. And I'm telling you in this room today that God has set us up to do some miraculous things as Bethesda. Together. As thou hast said, so must we do. It's everybody in this room. It's collective. It's the empowering of empowerment of God amongst the masses to see a society that's broken, changed by the power of God. Actions speak louder than words. Amen. Amen. Actions speak louder than words. There's a lot of verses. I'm just going to read one here. It's in First uh, Samuel. It says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's better to obey than sacrifice. Obedience is action. Obedience, even if it's God telling you to stand still and wait, that waiting is still an action that God has told you and you're obeying it and it's an action even though you're standing still. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we don't like to wait. When God tells us wait, we don't like it. But that action, even though you're not doing anything and he's telling you just sit, just listen, <coughs> just learn of me and prove me in this. I'm telling you, Obedience is better than sacrifice. James says that faith without works is dead. James chapter 2 in the New Testament. For faith without works is dead. Some people could say, well, I've done this or I've done that. And Jesus even said, you know, that you can say to somebody, uh, I'm going to be praying for you. They don't have any food. You've got a cabinet full. Anybody with cabinet fulls? We, we got a lot of stuff. We got ramen noodles, man. We got, Leslie was mad at me last week. She went and bought milk. I carried it in, thinking I was the hero of the day. Go in and put it on the shelf. Apparently they put it on all the way, and it fell on the floor and busted. And it was all over our kitchen. And Jake and Zoe had it big time. That's our dogs. And then Oscar the cat heard about it, so he ran in there too. And every one of them was just oh, looking all over the floor. But it saved me from mopping. Hey, man, that's good. I'm all good at that. Oscar the cat. Spilled the milk. They said, don't cry over spilled milk. I was. I was afraid because whenever I did that, unless it was still outside getting other groceries, I thought, I'm dead. She walks in here, I'm dead. I was trying action, right? But I failed. It failed miserably. It's like, I thought, I'm the worst husband ever. Faith without works is dead. You say you're a good husband if you don't have fucking the groceries. Amen. amen. Women, that would have been a golden opportunity for you to scream, Amen. <laughs> My pastor's preaching now. He's, he's telling the truth. 
Gals him in the ribs there. Let, let y'all know he, he's got to, yeah, pack in groceries. Mop the kitchen. Unless they thought I was a new man that day because I did. Actually, after the dogs licked all of it up, I went and got the mop and I poured some of that green stuff out underneath the cabinet. I don't even know what it's called, but I poured it in there and I got me some mop water and I mopped it and I cleaned it up real good. So my faith wasn't just in words, but it was in actions. And Leslie was happy because she said, you mopped the floor. I said, yeah, it's the first time I've been mopped in two years. Then I took away all that. <laughs> Paul says we're not justified by works. Apostle Paul says we're not justified by works. We're not. You'll never justify yourself by works. You'll never prove yourself to God by your works. God doesn't really, he's not sitting up there keeping account to know whether you're going to make to heaven or you're not. Your works is not going to get you to heaven. It's for by grace are you saved through faith. And that of the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary is the only way you can get to heaven. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. I'm not talking about working your way to heaven. I'm talking about after you get saved of doing the good works because then there's all kinds of places in the Bible that talks about that. In Titus, he tells us there's those that profess to know God, but in worse they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualifying every good work. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and that fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Everything we're doing, every idle word it says in Scripture's Galatians chapter 6 says, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Let each one examine his own work. <coughs> it's hard for me as a pastor to sit there and say, Well, Sandy should have been done. Right? Or Pipe should have been done. I mean, we can worry about everybody else, start calling everybody else what they should have been doing, but if we're not acting ourselves, we ain't got no right to tell anybody else what they should be doing. Come on, somebody. Amen. A broken society is a society that calls everybody else out and won't do anything themselves. Now, if you're involved, I believe you've got a little bit of a right to have a voice to tell other people, look what God's doing in my life because my actions is following my faith. And you can spur each other along. You can encourage each other. Amen? I believe in that, but I don't believe in putting other people down when we're knowing nothing ourselves. 1 Peter 1.17 says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Without partiality, he's going to judge each one's work. And Peter urges people, conduct yourselves Throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Paul told the Philippians, work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling before God. We should have fear about us of knowing that God wants me to be involved in this broken society. Ezra was, Nehemiah was, Daniel was, Queen Esther was. All through the Old Testament. We're at the end of the Old Testament, folks. And here God is calling individuals to work together as a team. And teamwork made the dream work because now there's a third temple built. The second temple was built. And whenever that second temple was built, it was an amazing thing for the children of Israel. After 70 years of abandonment and captivity, to be set free by the grace of God. 
whenever they walked up to that temple for the first time in 70 years and freedom is a great thing. <coughs> what is next Sunday is that time for one of your friends or family that's one of those 82% that would come with you if you ask them. What if Easter Sunday is the Sunday where God is promising, I'll set them free if you get them here. If you ask, as thou hast said, so must we do. Amen? Let's stand. As thou hast said, so must we do. I pray that scripture in Ezra will become a reality in our life that we will accomplish the task that God has given us. I want everybody here to bow your head and close your eyes. speaking to us today in this place and I believe the words that is being asked of us today in this room is what are you doing I believe there's some people in this room that God has called you his voice has spoken to you he's told you you're called to do great things for God but you've been sitting on the bench and you've never swung the bat and you won't listen to the coach. And today in this room, God's telling you, it's your turn. Go up to that plate and swing that bat. He's called you. He's equipped you to do the work of the ministry. And in this room today, he's saying, what are you doing? And in that, he's saying, you've been wasting time. You've been wasting days. You've been wasting months. There's some people in this room that's been wasting years. And right now he's telling you, it's time to start doing what I've called you to do. Don't complain about a broken society if you don't have your hands on the plow. Maybe you've never even put your hands on the plow. You don't even know what salvation is like. You just heard me just speak about it. And you're saying, Pastor Ben, I want that salvation. I want that freedom. I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want to give my life to Him. And I'm ready to transfer my hands from the old way of doing things to this plow to where I'm going to go forward and build the kingdom of God because He's called me today in this room. Is there anybody here to say, that's me? Pastor Ben, I want to be saved. I want to be set free. I want to put my hands to the plow. Anybody else? Amen. There's another hand. Anybody else? Amen. There's another one. There's another one. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for that hand. There's another one. Anybody else? There's others. I'm ready to put my hands on the plow. 
I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And he's going to give me a new sense of purpose. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Another one going up. Anybody else? He's calling you right now. You can feel your heart about to beat out of your chest. Don't wait. Don't wait. Ask him for salvation in this room today. And you'll receive it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off for another week. Don't wait. Let this be the first Easter Sunday morning that you walked in a saved individual when you come back next week. Anybody else? I feel God's calling somebody in this room, somebody else. There's been at least, I don't know, six or eight hands up so far. There's others. You need to raise your hand. And God's He's dealing with you right now. Is anybody else? Lives are going to be changed in just a few seconds. Amen. Salvation is not between you and me. It's between you and God. So I want us all to pray a prayer together as a body, as a whole. As thou hast said, so must we do. And God told us that we're to be in this together. The Bible says that if one lost soul comes back to the kingdom of God, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. It's a party in heaven because there's some people in this room that's saying, I'm going to put my hand to the plow. I want us all to pray this prayer together. Everybody in this room, everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my faults. Forgive me for my failures. Help me to do. Help me to be an answer to others' prayers. Let me do the work of the kingdom. Let me make heaven my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.